As we continue worship, I invite you to stand as we hear the gospel reading for this morning. Our gospel reading comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1 through 7. Hear these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your grace, for your hope, and for your words, and for this time together. Nor as we enter in this time, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be focused upon you and you alone. Turn out the distractions of our day and our moments so that we may hear you in this time. Or may I be less so that you may be more. May no one see me but see you in this moment. And may the words of my heart and the meditation of my soul be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the great things about ministry is that once you get into ministry, they tell you to go to school to become a pastor. And one of those specific schools that they tell you to go to is a school called License to Preach School. No, you don't have to have a license to preach. It's what we do to call it for when you need to go to get extra training in order to get that certification that says you are licensed so that the state will allow you to do things like weddings. But usually it's a, a deep, deeper time for us as a chance for us to learn things that we didn't necessarily learn in seminary, like clergy tax law. And let me tell you, if you've ever had to deal with clergy tax law, I'm sorry. It's why I'm bald. We deal with things like charge conference forms and how to put together those things. It's a week, time, week of worship. It's a work of, week of prayer, work of seminars. And it's a chance for you to get together with other clergy who are like you starting out in ministry. Well, when it was my time to go to license to preach school, it was held in this college that I had never been to before. It's a college called Lindsey Wilson College in a town called Columbia, Kentucky. I had never been to Lindsey Wilson before and I had never been to Columbia before. It was about an hour and a half drive from where I was appointed at the time. 
And so I did what all of us seem to do anymore is I got out my phone, plugged it into my car. I didn't have one of those nice dashboards like I've got now. I basically had to just hope it would come through my radio. But I just typed in Lindsay Wilson College, hit start, and I just trusted that the map would take me exactly to where I needed to go. So I'm on this road, I'm driving down, and I get into Columbia, and I'm trying to listen as attentively as I can to the direction. So I do that other thing we always do. I turn the radio all the way off, thinking that that would actually help me pay more attention. And so I'm listening. And I turn what to this road that I thought my map had told me to go to. Now remember, I'd never been to Columbia before, so I'm just trusting that the map knows the way. But I'm perceptive enough to know that I wasn't anywhere near a college where they told me to turn. I was down this back alley in between two buildings that looked like they were sharing a, a garbage depot with each other. In fact, by the time that my car said, you are now at your destination, I was at a garbage dump. <laughs> kind of like what we've got in our parking lot. That, my phone said, was Lindsey Wilson College. Now, we won't say anything about what that says about the college. We'll leave that for another day and another time. But I trusted that the map took me to the right place. And I ended up in a garbage dump. Now, it turns out that I had put the wrong address in and I made a wrong turn somewhere. But still, for an hour and a half, I trusted that I was on the right road. That by the time I ended up on the way to my destination, that I would be in the parking lot of Lindsey Wilson College. And as I've been thinking about this passage and I've been thinking about what it says to us, I can't help but wonder if that's kind of like us sometimes today. No, not that we just mindlessly put in the address and just go wherever our map tells us. Or if you're like my watch now, it predicts where it thinks you're going to go. Like when I leave the office at 1.30, it says Starbucks is now 10 miles away. It scares me that my phone knows that much about me. I'm not talking about that. So much as do we assume that we are on the right path that leads us to God. How much focus or how much energy even do we put that to make sure that we are on a path that leads us to God. And leads us to his love and his holiness. How much do we go through life kind of on autopilot? Thinking that we've got the right map, we showed up on Sunday morning when probably we would rather see it, the guy that's leading the open is going to bomb and lose that six-stroke lead. Maybe that's just me. But we're here on Sunday morning. We must be on the right path. But how do we know for certain? How do we know if that 
road, that way that we thought that we plugged in this morning that would lead us to Christ is really what is leading us to Christ. Are we on the way that leads us to God? It's questions for us to think about and scratch our head over as we think about this passage and even as we conclude this sermon series where we've been asking ourselves some questions to think about where God might be leading us into the future. And this question comes for us in the midst of what is known as the final discourse. And kind of like what we talked a little bit about last week when we talked about unity, this final discourse is a large collection of speeches or writings from Jesus in the middle of the John's gospel that anticipates his departure, not just from the cross and the resurrection, but departure from an earthly ministry perspective. These are the words, the final words that Jesus is giving his disciples as he is preparing to depart and preparing them for the Holy Spirit to come and guide them in ministry and life along the journey of faith. We see Jesus talking about preparing to depart. We see Jesus talking about that the Spirit will come and counsel and encourage them. Jesus is preparing them for some final moments. But it's a particular final moment that comes with some tension already in the room. They're up in the upper room. They've had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed their feet. Judas has left the building. But also, too, Jesus has announced that Peter, the one that is the spokesperson for the group, not just appointed by that by Jesus, but also by the group that they've all looked to Peter for their leadership, for their, for, to speak to Jesus when they're confused or they're not sure what's going on. This one, Jesus has said, is going to betray him three times. So there's some tension in the room. There's some confusion. There's some angst. And Jesus starts by saying, trust me. The NRSV says, believe in me. Trust me, believe me. The Greek that is underlining those tr different translations is a word that could be used as an indicative or an imperative. It could be, hey, you already believe in me, indicating what is already the case. Or it can be an imperative. I need you to have some faith. I need you to believe. I need you to trust what's going on. When we look at the context, it's most likely that Jesus is impairing them, implying upon them, encouraging them to have a little faith, to have a little hope, to believe in Christ, in his words, in his hope. And he says that also in the context of saying that he's about ready to leave them. Great message to share. I'm, I need you to believe in me even as I'm about ready to depart. And he says he's going to prepare them a place and a place with many rooms. And we can have longer conversations about what Jesus meant by that at a later time and a later place. But he says, you know the way of where I'm going. I'm departing you. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to depart. I'm going to glorify God. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
Now, Thomas speaks up in this moment. My favorite disciple of Thomas. Thomas who gets a bad rap. Thomas who everyone looks down upon, but really Thomas is you and I. He's one of us. Thomas is bold enough to admit those questions that we often wrestle with ourselves. And so Thomas, in the midst of all this group, raises his hand and speaks on behalf of the whole, and he says, not so fast, Jesus. You may say that we know the way. You may say that we know where you're going, but we're lost. We're not sure where this way is that you're leading us to. We don't know where you're going. Now we can aw shut Thomas and go, oh, Thomas, don't you know? He's just going to say in a few moments, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Get on with it, Thomas. Let's pause for a second there. Like I said, Thomas is a little bit of you and me. How many of us wake up in the morning and just go, God, am I on the right path in my life? God, I'm praying, I'm, I'm worshiping you, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I feel like my life is just falling apart. I feel like I don't hear you as much as I used to. And sometimes there's all these voices in my head, all these voices in the world that say, to be a good Christian, you got to go this way, or to be a good Christian, you got to go that way. I don't know God sometimes. If I just broke the speed limit. I don't know if I'm on the right path. I don't know about you, but I know in my life sometimes those are questions I ask myself all the time. God, am I following you? God, am I on the right way? God, am I on the right path? I can't hear you today, God. Are you sure I'm doing the right thing? Many of us, we want to put on that facade and say we've all got it figured out. We all, we're all on the right path. But I think deep down in our soul, we struggle sometimes to know if we truly are on the way that leads us to God. So in a lot of ways, this question that Thomas is asking, though he asks it in a way of, let me get out my old school Rand McNally map and you show me the way from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv and we'll figure it all out in between there and here. But there's a deeper spiritual meaning to what he's asking. Am I on the right path, God? Am I on the journey that you've asked me to be on? Now, notice what Jesus does in that moment. He doesn't look at Thomas and go, oh, Thomas, come on, man. Get with the picture. The rest of them are all fine. They know where I'm going. 
Jesus never does that whenever we ask questions or whenever we doubt or whenever we struggle with knowing if we're on the right path. Instead, he opens himself up to Thomas and to all of us to help us to see what that path is truly like. And in doing so, he gives us one of the great I am statements. The Gospel of John has these I am statements throughout the Gospel. It's one of the great beauties of the Gospel of John in that it has these many ways that you can see a little bit of a picture of Jesus. We have what's known as the Book of Signs and the 12 Miracles, the 12 Signs that allude us to something deeper about Jesus. But we also have these I am statements. Seven statements where Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the rest as a way to reveal something about his character, but also in a way of revealing something about what it means for us to follow in his footsteps. It follows in a practice that we see in the Old Testament when Moses goes to God in the burning bush and says, who in the world are you? God says, I am, I am. I am everything. And so here we see Jesus give one of those great I am statements where he reveals a little bit about who he is and what it means for us to follow him. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. What Jesus says in that statement from a from a big picture perspective, is that he is the path that leads us to God. He is the path and the way that leads us to holiness, into righteousness, into experiencing the Father's love through the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. It is his path that leads us to God. It is his path that leads us to hope. And it's his path that leads us into the ways of God. And by saying that he is the way and the truth and the life, he's calling us to have this deep personal relationship where we know him, where we follow him, and we seek after him. Jesus calls us to a discipleship where we follow after his way and seek to learn from him. And so what does he mean by I am the way and the truth in life? He is that way, that journey. He's the one that's created that pathway for us to know God because he is God incarnate. He's the one that has revealed God's character to all of us and calls us not just to be on this way, but to immerse ourselves in this way to where our values, our characteristics, our hopes are defined by God. But he also says he's the truth. Which means he's the source of all wisdom. He's wisdom and hope and joy for all. And him is the source of all knowledge and hope for all of us. And we seek to go, grow in him and seek to learn from him. And apply what we learn into our lives so that we may be a deeper reflection of his love. But he 
He's also life. Which means that when we give of ourselves to God, when we follow in his footsteps, when we follow that way, we'll find the deepest meaning of life. The deepest purpose for our existence in glorifying God in everything that we do. We find our joy in God. We find our hope in God and our love in God so that we follow in his footsteps and share that love, that hope, that grace, that joy with every person, even when we feel like we just don't want to share it. Jesus calls us to be on a journey of growth and discovery to where we seek after God and God seeks after us. It's not an easy journey. It's not an easy way that God invites us on. We like to think that that road is a nicely paved highway that smoothed out, brand new fresh lines everywhere, Nothing bumps, no cracks, no potholes, none of that. Easy to drive on, easy on our t- everything. But faith in the way that God invites us into is kind of like driving on 64 and through St. Albans right now. It's bumpy. You got to be up on the wheel a little bit. Because one one rock in the wrong place is going to send your car off one way. It's hard. It's difficult. But yet it's worth it. It's worth it. So how do we stay on this rocky highway? How do we stay on this rocky road that Jesus is inviting us on? We stay on it through prayer. Not just, oh God, please thank you for this food that's about 20,000 calories and we're asking God to bless it and, and take away all those calories. I'm guilty about that. But a prayer to where we say, God, not my will, but your will. Not about me, but about you working in me and through me. We pray that same prayer that I pray at the start of every sermon. Make me less so that you can be more. Make me less so that you may be more. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in worship to where we give everything to just glorify God, not just in this time together, but in our daily lives where we just stop and say, thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you, God, even for the challenges that we have and the challenges that we grow closer to God. We spend time in devotion, in reading scripture, not just by ourselves where we can interpret it however we want, but we spend time reading scripture with each other. We have conversations with each other. We study with others and we learn and grow from each other because your perspective might help me to see this passage a little different. All of those tools help us to stay on this journey because without them, we can lose sight of the way. 
We can lose sight of God. And we can get distracted by all these other voices and all these other ways that are out there in the world today that's saying, no, no, I am truly the way and the truth and the life. God calls us to that relationship and to stay on that journey through prayer and worship and devotion. And if we want to love God and grow in faith and serve the Lord, then those are the things that we need to do to stay on the way. Not just as people, but as a church. So that we can be all that God calls us to be and be a reflection of God's holy love today and tomorrow and always. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. May we be people who grow in that, not just today, but always. Will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love, for your grace, and your hope. Lord, you've called us to be in a journey with you. You call us to be faithful to you. And yet sometimes, Lord, that road is hard. Sometimes, God, that road is overwhelming. Lord, help us to stay on the road that leads to you. Equip us with the tools to stay on this journey so that we may be less and you may be more in our lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen.